This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Raj Agrawal, CFO and Executive Vice President of Western Union, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 468. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Justin Spencer, CFO of Vocera Communications, a developer of wearable communication devices for the patient care environment. We retrace Justin's steps to the CFO office and the dynamics behind Vocera opening a new chapter of growth. Meanwhile, we have a bonus for you. Sage Intact CFO Mark Linden, who we featured on episode 428, once more leans into our questions after we caught up with him at last week's Modern SaaS Finance Summit in San Jose. Listen for Mark's Thought Leader Minute with us on this episode of CFO Thought Leader. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking to Justin Spencer, CFO of Vocera Communications, a healthcare technology company specializing in clinical communication and workflow solutions. Justin, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here with you. Well, there's a good deal of buzz around wearable technologies these days, and the CIRA, it appears, is at the intersection of wearable technologies and healthcare, which I think it can uh, quickly register for many of us uh, the promising possibilities here. So uh, we look forward to learning more uh, about your offerings. Uh, but first, Justin, as always, we like to by asking our finance leaders to look back for us and tell us a little bit about themselves and what were those uh, career experiences they feel uh, prepared them for a CFO. What, what comes to mind for you? Well, as I look back, there are a few, uh, a few things that I can point to that really helped prepare me for um, ultimately becoming a CFO. This is my 
uh, serve a CFO role uh, here at Bolsera. I've previously been a CFO of Symmetricom and before that, Trivet Communications. And, you know, as I look back, I think there were three things that have really helped me. Um, somewhat unintentionally, I didn't uh, start my career thinking or as, as, um, wanting to be necessarily a CFO, although I, I'm sure at that point in my career I would have thought that would be great. But um, I really wanted to develop a, a broad and um, diversified um, background in business. And so um, coming out of school, I intentionally chose to um, pursue disciplines in areas like product management, strategy. Um, I've had the opportunity to be involved in HR and IT. And I think that broad-based experience has really helped me now as a CFO um, to have a much broader perspective on, on business and be much more of a strategic advisor to our CEO, our board, and other constituents inside of the, inside of the company. I think also, um, as I look back, um, the thing that I've been really fortunate to have are great mentors. I early on, my very first mentor that I can recall formerly was a CFO of a company that I worked at, and then I got the privilege and opportunity to work with and for uh, five great uh, CEOs um, here in the Bay Area, and, and I've learned a lot from each of them and, um, and tried to apply the things that, you know, I thought uh, they did really well in my own, um, in my own career and, and in the way that I work. Um, you know, the other thing that I've come to appreciate over time, and I would say that this is really, really helped me is uh, I, I'm a, I love sports and uh, like any talent or sport to be to be good at something you really have to focus on the fundamentals and never lose sight of those. Um, and one of the experiences that taught me this was uh, I arrived at Symmetricom, my last company as the CFO and, and their financial statements um, needed to be restated and that was a really difficult thing for the company and as we Kind of peel back the onion to understand what had what had gone awry. Um, one of the things that we found was that you know the proper fundamentals of you know different reconciliations, basic processes that would normally protect the company and uh, the integrity of the financials had not been followed. And so I tried to really emphasize that in my own life, in my own career, as well as with my team, is that you know we. Um, the, there are basic building blocks in finance that we that we have, and that if we don't do those well, such as producing financial statements, our ability to influence and lead and really strategically advise is, is compromised, and we're not able to do that to the best of our ability. Now, I wanted to just ask, I know that uh, way back when, perhaps at the beginning of your tech career, uh, you were, I, I'm wondering if Hewlett-Packard was sort of your door of entry into tech, or how would you characterize that door of entry? How did you find your way into the uh, tech world? Well, uh, pr prior to um, arriving in tech or starting in tech with HP, and that was definitely my first role here in the Bay Area and, and in tech, um, I had uh, just completed business school on the East Coast at uh, the Warden School of Business, and I purposefully wanted to... Um, kind of branch away from what had up to that point been more of a focus on finance and accounting. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to really kind of broaden my, my perspective in some other important business disciplines. Um, and, uh, and so um, 
I came out of business school in the year 2000, uh, purposefully wanting to find, um, you know, an opportunity here in the area and in tech um, in something other than accounting and finance. And I found a, a phenomenal um, role in corporate strategy at HP. This was back in 2000. The mobile and wireless space was really starting to to heat up in terms of, um, you know, large tech companies wanting to establish a strategy for the, how they were going to go after the mobile and wireless space. And HP was no exception. And so I, my very first project, I remember, was helping to create um, a disruptive and innovative strategy for HP to go after the, the mobile and wireless sector. And um, as I look back on that experience and the ones that I've had since then, um, you know, having the opportunity to be involved in strategic projects, um, whether as a member of a strategy team and then later at COVAD, I actually joined COVAD after a couple of years at HP. I left and had a wonderful opportunity to join as a product manager um, where I had the responsibility to um, define for COVAD the, the company's first um, company or small business focused uh, website and email service where small, small businesses could establish a presence online. Now, this was back in 2002. That seems like just um, you know, a very simple and straightforward thing today, but back in 2002, this was on the cusp of you know, the, um, the adoption of the Internet and businesses starting to put their presence on, on the Internet. And so it was an exciting time to be able to lead the development of that, of that product uh, for COVID. Yeah, thank you for uh, helping us connect the dots on that earlier chapter. Um, I just want to say I think, I think it's interesting that when you took that job at HP, it wasn't necessarily, you weren't necessarily going down the path to finance leadership. You were thinking more broadly and would discover uh, a path forward. Am I correct about that, or were you always determined uh, to, to, uh, to follow the finance path? Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, although I had had my, my undergraduate focus and even my graduate focus at Wharton was in finance, and I had had some work experience between, you know, undergrad and graduate in, in finance specifically, I, I purposely came out of graduate school and, and here at the tech with a desire to, first of all, I didn't really know that I wanted to be a CFO, and um, that wasn't a specific goal. What, what I wanted in my own career was just to have the opportunity to grow and have new exciting opportunities. Um, you know, at the time, that was my, my very simple goal. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, these amazing leadership opportunities as my career has expanded. So I, that's been the focus for me is I just like to be challenged. And, um, and whatever kind of new opportunity presented itself that I thought was would be challenging and would be aligned with my interests. I just genuinely feel that if you're not interested in something, it's very difficult for you to be good at it. And so I had some great opportunities along the way, whether it's in strategy, product management, corporate development, and ultimately back towards finance. Uh, that progression largely happened at COVAD, um, you know, to, uh, to have these, you know, great, um, very diverse experiences that have really, I think, helped me uh, today in my, in my role as CFO. In the early part um, of your education, you studied accounting, and I have to believe uh, you, were, you almost took a very traditional path down the finance lane by studying accounting. Uh, but then you 
decided to go back for an MBA and, uh, at Wharton. Um, but can you tell us about that? It looked like you worked for a couple of years before you went to Wharton. Yeah, so as I, as I studied early on in college, I loved um, the finance and accounting discipline. And in fact, my very first job out of college was working for a company that was private at the time, it's now public, named Huntsman Corporation, and um, a large manufacturer of um, chemicals and petrochemicals products uh, in the world. They're now, they're now publicly traded, but my, my first job was in their finance department, and I and I really enjoyed that experience, but I felt um, that I wanted to and might have the opportunity uh, and interest to do even more and extend my, my reach even beyond finance and accounting. And, you know, longer term, my, my goal was to have, you know, experiences, maybe even one day um, running my own company, um, whether it was my own or, or someone else's. And, and so that's always been my mindset. And so as I transitioned and, and strived to go and pursue an MBA, I came out of MBA, not necessarily wanting to pursue, at least initially, the, um, the finance track and wanted to have a broader base of exposure. And so that was part of why I, when I came out here to the Bay Area and, and started in tech, you know, I started in areas outside of finance. I started in strategy and then transitioned to product management and then eventually it had leadership positions um, and we're seeing great, great people in HR and IT and other disciplines. But... Um, in time, what I found is that I was very, very comfortable um, and, and had, uh, you know, a mindset, if you will, for financial matters. And so when I was at COVAD, um, I began as a product manager, and I left COVAD as the CFO when we sold that company. And in between, I, you know, went from going from product management to corporate development, which then uh, organizationally folded into the CFO, and I found myself having gradually added responsibility to my plate and eventually became the, the CFO of, of Kodak. And so I gravitated in large respect um, to the, the, the things that I'm probably most comfortable and most astute at, but I have had the opportunity through the experiences that I've, you know, have largely here in, in the Bay Area and in tech to now have a much broader exposure. And I think that makes me a, a pretty unique and different CFO than maybe um, other other CFOs that have come up through the traditional kind of accounting and, and finance ranks. So, so tell us about Vocera Communications and these types of offerings. What what they become known for? What is Vocera's uh, competitive edge? Well, Vocera Communications um, specializes in uh, communication and collaboration. We're a, what we call a communication and workflow technology company, primarily focused in healthcare. And if you think about, you know, um, what's broken in healthcare, a lot of it stems from breakdowns in, in communication. And so our solution, which is a combination of a very unique hands-free device that attaches to the, the, scrub, scrub, um, the scrub or the uniform of a nurse or a doctor or other healthcare worker, um, that device um, is a hands-free speech recognition-based device that communicates back to our software. And it, together, our solution enables doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers to communicate and collaborate with each other much more effectively than uh, more traditional forms of communication, such as cell phones and pagers and even overhead paging. And so we have, over time, perfected, even before uh, the days of, um, you know, Apple and Google and Amazon with their with the Alexa, um, we have we have perfected hands-free voice communication inside of inside of a hospital in particular. 
So with the Voxera solution, a nurse um, doesn't need to know um, who the other, the name of the other person that they're calling. They can say, you know, call the nurse for patient number 104. That command goes over the Wi-Fi network back to our software platform, and instantly the nurse is connected with the nurse for that particular patient. Um, and uh, we, um, our, our platform and our solution enables, you know, hundreds of thousands of calls and now um, secure voice messages across our platform, you know, across a customer base of roughly, you know, 1,500 hospitals and healthcare facilities throughout the globe. Um, we also have, um, our solution is capable of delivering very intelligent alerts and alarms. One of the major problems in healthcare today is that uh, nurses in particular are just inundated with lots of alar alarms and alerts that is just um, a major source of stress and makes it difficult for them to properly care for their patients. And so we have a system that can uh, intelligently deliver those alerts from the electronic medical record or a nurse call system or a variety of patient monitoring systems to the nurse in a very intelligent way. Um, the majority of our customers are hospitals. We've uh, sold to, you know, over 1,500 healthcare facilities globally. Um, we're, we're headquartered here in San Jose. And we've got about 600 employees. Just over that, um, we're approaching $200 million in revenue with a market cap in excess of a billion dollars. So, um, you know, we've, we've got an established business that's been growing um, nicely over the last several years. Uh, we've got relatively low penetration in our market, so we've got a large greenfield opportunity ahead of us. And I'd say that, you know, what makes um, Vocera unique in our, our domain is we um, we have great passion inside the company for what we do because we're in healthcare and because we bring improvement to the lives of doctors and nurses and ultimately patients. Um, every uh, employee here of Vocera is committed to that, that mission of, um, of driving even greater um, collaboration and communication for for these wonderful workers in, in the healthcare system so that they can deliver high-quality care to their patients. Um, and we've got this very unique uh, device. One can see it on our website. It's, uh, there's nothing like it. It's a very simple, uh, elegant device that enables nurses and doctors to communicate in a hands-free fashion. Um, and, uh, and we've perfected that over time. We've been at this now for about 18 years um, since the early founding of the, of the company back in early early 2000s. You know, the other thing that I think is really unique about Vocera is we have uh, over 40 ex-nurses and doctors who are now employees of Vocera. And so we bring a very unique uh, and clinically oriented perspective when we go out and sell and implement our solution with our, with our customers. So when you arrived there, you've already uh, been a CFO for two other uh, companies. What's attracting you here? What's the challenge? What did you see? What led you to say, here's where I can, uh, you know, help take this company to the next level? Well, I joined Vocera in 2014, specifically August of 2014, and the company had gone public in 2012, um, had had a bit of success, but uh, encountered a bit of a difficult patch in late 2013 and 14, somewhat for things outside of the, their control or, or Vocera's control. You know, healthcare is fairly regulated, and there was some legislation patch, uh, passed that uh, specifically related to Obamacare that shifted some of the spending priorities for hospitals, and that had an impact temporarily on Vocera. And so, um, you know, what I encountered when I was first introduced to Vocera in the summer of 2014 was a business whose growth, growth had slowed just a bit. 
Um, but yet, um, was starting to um, refine its footing and um, putting some exciting things in place to, to be able to recatalyze the growth. Um, the, we we um, had, had a new CEO, Brett Lang, um, who had been with the company for almost since, since the very beginning, had a very good handle on the business and, and was promoted to be uh, CEO. Uh, he had started to bring in uh, some new members of the management team. And when I uh, was introduced to the opportunity in 2014, um, I saw a company that had tremendous potential. There was a very large market, I felt, uh, for Vocera that uh, where it was, you know, um, not, not very well penetrated, um, or I should say fairly lowly penetrated. And so that represented for me a large, uh, you know, growth opportunity for the, for the business. Um, I, I really enjoyed the management team. I thought the management team was exceptional. Um, and our board of directors was uh, very strong as well. And I, I just felt like this would, would be an environment that, that I could thrive in. I would also add that I found, um, and I think this is really important, um, one thing that I've, I've learned along the way is it's really important to align your own um, kind of personal desires and strengths with uh, with a culture that aligns with, with what you do best and how you like to operate and think and, and, uh, and interact with people. And every, every company has a different culture. And I found, you know, in my uh, early discussions with Vocera that just my makeup aligned very, very closely with the culture of, of Vocera. And so, um, you know, in 2000, joined in August of 2014, and um, those market kind of headwinds that the company had faced in the last year began to turn a bit in our favor. We uh, maintained a very investment-oriented uh, posture. We continued to reinvest in the business even during a downturn. And then in 2015, um, began to, to grow again, and, and that growth has accelerated, um, you know, over the last several years. You made that interesting point about personally and professionally you wanted to be make sure that you were aligned with this company. And... Um, for CFOs who are looking to take on new roles, sometimes there's not a lot of time. Sometimes the situation only allows them limited lines of sight into an organization. I'm curious how, what you would recommend uh, for those CFOs who want to similarly make sure they're a good cultural fit before accepting a position. Any, any advice you might have for them? Well, I think there are a couple of things that I did um, to try and better understand the culture of Vocera. Um, first and foremost is you, you, you know, you, you have, you, you pay close attention during your discussions with the company about, um, about cultural things, you know, even specifically asking people to, um, you know, state what they felt the important cultural values were of the company. And, and uh, unlike what I experienced with Bocera is that I got a similar answer each and every time, which was really a, a good indication that people really internalized and understood the core values of the company. Oftentimes, you might uh, hear different things, and I think that sometimes can be a red flag. Um, the other thing uh, is just to ask um, people that are maybe connected to the company, whether it's, um, you know, uh, service providers, uh, and, you know, in our case, uh, we're a publicly traded company, have an audit firm, and... And I knew uh, our, our auditor is Deloitte, and so I knew folks at Deloitte that knew, knew the company, and so I took the opportunity to just connect with them during the interview process. I made, made it very clear that I was interviewing for the role, and, and just asked uh, folks that knew Vocera um, what their impressions were and what 
what they thought about the, you know, the culture and the opportunity of Ocera. And so it just uh, requires a little bit of extra work. But it, um, even during an interview process, that might be a little bit more confidential. Those kind of back-channel type um, questions and, and ways to, to understand the culture are there, um, you know, if, if someone is willing to put in that, that energy. Uh, Justin, thank you for allowing me to throw you a few extra questions there. I, uh, I'm going to jump to metrics and ask you uh, what metrics are top of mind for you at this, uh, as you mentioned, publicly held company. Well, we're an enterprise-focused company, right? So we sell largely to, to healthcare, uh, healthcare uh, businesses, uh, hospitals, uh, clinics, long-term care centers, etc. And so. Uh, because of our business model, we have, you know, over 50% of our revenue that is now recurring. Um, and but that also means that the remaining 50% or so needs to be actively closed by our sales force uh, each and every day. Um, and that comes from both existing customers and new customers. And so we've defined a set of reports and dashboards that we look at on a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis. For example, um, for us on a daily basis every morning, um, I wake up and um, and I can look at our bookings trends for the previous day and for the previous week, month, and, and quarter. And that's segmented in a variety of ways between kind of our existing business or our existing customer base, the business that we're driving from them, as well as new customers. Um, we also look uh, very regularly at the number of new customers that we're adding. That's an important part of our growth story. We we add uh, you know roughly 120 to 130 new customers every year. Um, and, uh, and so we want to make sure that we're staying um, on, on um, making good progress on towards that goal and even, even exceeding it. Um, the, the way our pipeline, our sales pipeline is developing is an important metric as well. So that, again, we're a growth-oriented company, so we look primarily at metrics that are, you know, going to drive the top-line growth of the business. Um, but we also, at the same time, look at how the overall health of our Business is doing, and in particular, how happy our customer base is. And one of the things, one of the metrics that we are really proud of um, is our maintenance, software maintenance, and tech support renewal rates. And as background, every single one of our customers is uh, buys uh, when they buy our software, they buy uh, also a one-year contract that enables them to receive um, bug fixes and software updates and receive technical support. And uh, it's not an inexpensive contract. It's usually about 25% of the value of the software. And then, that's a, then they buy that for one year, and then we have the opportunity uh, with them to renew that each year. They have the decision to, to renew that. And we have, uh, we have renewal rates that are well above 95%, and we, each year we tend to raise the price of that contract between 1% and 3%. So that's the way that we see where uh, customers are voting with their feet and sending a signal economically that they really value our solution as, you know, in excess of 95% of our, of our customer contracts are renewed each and every year. Um, you know, we also uh, uh, poll our, our customers to, to make sure that they're satisfied. So we have, you know, a net promoter score methodology that we do once a year with our customers. Um, and we also have um, what we call a showcase uh, portfolio of customers. These are, you know, um, maybe high-profile customers that uh, are willing to speak on our behalf in different forums, whether conferences, uh, webinars, 
and even during the sales process to help with um, with our ability to close a, a new a new sale. And, and so that customer mindset is one of the important um, you know cultural values of Osera. We're very customer driven. Um, you know, one of our cultural mantras is think customers first, and and so we try and really embrace that and incorporate that in basically every aspect of our business. When we come back, Vocera CFO Justin Spencer will share a finance strategic moment with us. But first, as promised, our Leadership Minute featuring Sage Intax, Mark Linden.
like that. As for the finance strategic moment, which uh, I'm sure you've had many, <laughs> but uh, the intent is to have a finance leader reveal how their lines of sight into the organization, into finance, into the numbers, allowed them to see an opportunity or a risk and perhaps, you know, point the organization in a different direction or uh, make them stay clear of a risk, whatever it might have been. Uh, but what comes to mind when I ask for a finance uh, strategic moment during the course of your career? Well, a few things come to mind, but interestingly, probably the one that I um, surfaces to the top is not necessarily a finance strategic moment, but, but a broader kind of management um, aha for me that has really helped me in my role as CFO and driving, you know, influence and change in the organization. Um, at Symmetricom, we faced a very large um, system upgrade of Oracle. Oracle is um, an enterprise resource planning system. It's really the guts of uh, the financial transactions and um, the workflows of, of the company. And we uh, faced a pretty heavy upgrade. Um, our, our Oracle system had been in place for several years and it needed to be upgraded, which is a really, um, you know, really big task. And I was at the time was leading our, our IT organization and um, along with our finance organization and CFO. And I had heard horror stories from my colleagues and CFO friends and uh, just in different environments. I just heard how painful ERP implementations and upgrades were, you know, whether it was choosing a bad implementation partner or poor project management or, or maybe even um, a project like that being perceived as just an IT project versus more of a strategic company-oriented initiative. And then um, I just heard so many instances of how the scope of the project had creeped over time, causing these types of projects to be way over budget. And so when we began our effort at Symmetricom on this upgrade of Oracle, I just genuinely felt that we could um, be very successful with a different approach. And, um, and so there were a few things that were really important that we did. Um, number one is I took the very best project manager in the company and took him out of his full-time role and dedicated him 100% to this project. Um, we also found an implementation, an external implementation partner who had the experience and the expertise um, with these kinds of projects. And we very thoroughly evaluated them along with several others before making a final selection. Um, we, we made this a C-level project. So it wasn't just an IT Scoutworks project. This was a, a CEO-level type project that got visibility throughout the entire organization, and as a result, we were able to get the very best people on the, on the project. And we spent a lot of time, probably more, even more than I expected up front, to properly scope the project, to find the requirements, the budget, um, and, uh, and even added some dollars to the budget so that we could, uh, as contingency, because we knew some, some things would not go quite as we expected, and, and having some extra dollars in the budget would enable us to deal with that flexibility. And then we also really established really good incentives for the, for the team that had been dedicated to this project. So with that in kind of its context and the things that we did, we, we ended up having, um, being able to implement Oracle, the updated version of Oracle, uh, after um, a 12 to 18 month effort. Um, it was extremely successful for the company and uh, it was on time, on budget, fully functional, and there was um, significant enhancement for the productivity of the workforce. 
so, you know, the thing that I've learned from that is that um, whether it's in a financial role or just broadly in a management role, you know, we're all going to encounter um, these large cross-functional projects. Um, that's largely how, you know, work, important work, strategic work is done now. And uh, one needs to be able to collaborate effectively and, and influence and lead on a cross-functional basis. And it's really important, I think, to, I learned from this project, to really take the time up front to properly set it up. Uh, and to, to organize it, and that that effort up front will save, you know, a lot of time, a lot of wasted time and energy and, importantly, money, you know, on the back end. And so I've, I've tried to apply that, you know, same kind of approach as we have here at Vocera implemented other systems or even, um, you know, more broadly with other important strategic projects. We try to have really good project management and, and apply the same rigor that, that I learned how to apply it and with that project. Justin Spencer, CFO of Vocera Communications, enters the mentoring round next after these words, few short words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're going to move into our mentoring round now where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and uh, advise uh, future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, there are a lot of things. I think one of the things that comes to mind is um, really, I think, the evolution and acceptance of the CFO as a really uh, important strategic advisor. I think, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the CFO was largely viewed as the numbers guy um, that was responsible for filing, you know, making public filings and reporting on a historical basis. And I think um, the market has evolved and shifted to where the CFO is really right by the CEO side and with the board of directors and the other members of the management team driving the business, the growth, and the and, and being involved in a lot of different decisions now. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with how the CEO views the role of the CFO. And I have been really fortunate, as I mentioned earlier, to to work with and for some great CEOs, um, Brent Lang here at Belterra included, and and uh, and they've always had that broader perspective as a CFO. So, and, and I think that's a I think there's broader acceptance of that now in the market. And so as you, as people strive to um, to work towards becoming a CFO, I think that's the expectation is that the CFO will have the toolkit and the ability to be much more strategic. And I think that's, that just means more opportunity, more more growth, more influence uh, you know, for the individual as they um, then you know, have the opportunity to be to be a CFO in their, in their role. So thinking back now, uh, to when you first uh, entered uh, the CFO office, and that would have been at Kobad, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. you the ranks there, you entered that office for the first time. What is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you way back when? 
Well, COVID, all three of my companies have been public companies, so I have kind of this added perspective of, of being a public company CFO and, and having the responsibility to manage our, our investor base and the analysts that, that cover the company. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned in time that I wish I, think I would have known uh, much sooner is that in, within, for any public company, there's going to be a combination of long-term investors as well as very short-term uh, hedge-oriented type investors that might even take short positions in the stock on occasion. And, th- and they tend to be very short-term oriented. They're just in, the, uh, they're buying the stock or selling the stock just pure, for purely financial gain, and they don't have a real um, uh, genuine interest in, you know, the company's strategy and its growth um, objectives um, over time. And, you know, I think the thing that I've come to learn is that um, as CFOs and as management teams, we have to manage our business for the long run um, and ignore the short-term critics um, because in large part, the short-term critics will be gone in six months anyway. And, you know, we're the ones that, um, as, as a CFO of the company, you know, I'm responsible for the long-term health and viability of the company. And so I've I've tried, that's one of the things that I've learned over time. Um, you know, you sometimes can get into some uh, interesting discussions with uh, investors who have more of a short-term mindset and want you to make decisions that might benefit the company in the short term but might not uh, be beneficial to the company in the long term. And um, I think it's important to always just keep that long-term perspective in mind. Okay. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? You know, I think that probably the, the thing that has helped me the most is just the mindset of, um, of uh, trying to help my boss be as successful as possible. I find, I have found in my own uh, career that uh, I'm, uh, I'm, my success is determined in large part by, by how well my boss does. And so now, now that I'm a CFO and reporting to the CEO, I feel a, an obligation and a responsibility to help him be as successful as possible. And I feel that as he's successful, that means the company's doing well and being successful. And as a result, that's going to shine brightly on not just me, but members of my team and our, and our company overall. Do you have a book you recommend to aspiring finance leaders? You know, there's some really good ones out there. I, um, back in the mid-2000s, I um, read a book that I know is very um, well-known by now. It's called Good to Great, and I love the concentric or the three circles that overlap. I remember the hedgehog concept of focusing on what you're passionate uh, about, um, what you're the best at, and then um, identifying the areas where you can make money. And if you can find the overlap of those three things, you're going to be able to create um, lasting value, and that was has always been a really powerful, um, powerful concept for me that I've applied in, in, in my world ever since I learned that. So that's a, that's a book that I think is not just about finance, but more broadly business. And you know, there's so much competition in our um, in our landscape today. You know, there are very few industries where companies are free of of competition and. Um, and so the ability to compete is a really important one and learning skills and principles and frameworks for how to compete effectively and drive competitive advantage, I think, is really important for CFOs to understand. Our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Well, my number one priority is always making sure that I've got the best talent that I can possibly have. So. 
you know, we are continuing to grow, and so hiring great talent is my number one priority and always has been. And I think that's been one of the critical uh, things that has helped me to be successful in my own role is, is hiring great people um, to work with me on the, on the team who embrace a similar um, way of thinking and the cultural values that I alluded to earlier. But in terms of 2019, the other thing is we're still, although we're public, we're still you know, a relatively small company. We're approaching $200 million in revenue. We've got a market uh, capitalization of about $1.2 billion. And so, um, and we're in growth mode. And so, our ability to scale efficiently as we grow is really important. So, we're investing in um, a number of things this year to drive higher levels of automation and streamline our processes so that we can um, grow efficiently, you know, as our, as our revenue base and our customer base, customer base continues to expand. Um, and then the, the last thing that we're really focused on from a financial standpoint is, you know, continuing to um, be able to produce, you know, high-quality um, uh, financials uh, and, and drive and then take that, build on that by, by driving an even higher level of business intelligence within the organization that we've invested in a number of tools and systems inside the company to be able to extract data, whether it's on behalf of, you know, for, on, on our customers, our you know, partners, and employees, et cetera, to be able to drive, extract a higher quality of data so that we can empower greater decision-making inside the company. Justin Spencer, thank you for joining us. CFO. Mark, do you have any advice for CFOs who are, you know, the way they think of it, too busy scaling uh, to have the time to properly hire the people they need? Stop. <laughs> really simply, uh, it, it is the most important thing you can do. And you're not going to scale unless you get the right people in the right organization, you know, the right position in the organization. It doesn't mean everybody has to be a superstar. Superstars, you need people you can 100% rely on. Um, but you know, there's two things that I've always done: is made sure in key roles we have the absolute right person. And I'd rather have a TBH than have a warm body in a role they shouldn't be in. Um, and the second thing is always hire your replacement. And I tell my team, you can take anything off my desk as long as you're willing to do it well. I don't care. If that means I have no role, great. I'll figure something else to go do that will help drive the business forward. Uh, and you can't be afraid to, you know, to hire those people. But it is the single most important thing you can do to scale organization is giving the right people the right roles. Uh, I think it's doubly true, you know, most scaling organizations, the HR organization works for the CFO. And it's not necessarily, you know, our strong point and where we naturally spend time, um, but you need to take the time out and make sure it's not just in your own organization, but across the company that those things are taking place. Uh, it, and it, it just, it, it should be the, always the top of the list. You mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting, and 
it's made me wonder if there's a best practice or a rule of thumb that you might have. You talked about how communicating, <clears throat> how careful you need to be that the message is sent through the organization as it grows from one to the next, that it stays on message. And, and this is how I think CFOs tend sometimes maybe to become a little too guarded because they realize so much of what they say can be communicated in different ways. So the rule of thumb might be keep it simple. I, I don't know. Or because then there's less risk? Or what, what, what would you tell us? I think definitely keep it simple helps, right? Boil it down to what you're really trying to say. Uh, but the other thing that we say internally is keep it real, right? It, yeah, sometimes I say things that I didn't intend to say in public because it was important for people to understand at that point. And you have to take a risk, especially, you know, I mean, it gets harder when you're public. But when you're pre-public, you know, it's a moderated risk. Um, and you have to answer people honestly and completely. And that really is what gets everybody on the same path, is when they don't just understand what your intent is, they understand the why behind it. And that's why I say it's incumbent on the leader to take that time. If someone says, you know, asks you a question or has an idea and, you know, yes or no is not good enough, it's yes or no and here's the logic I used to get there. You know, one, they're going to start internalizing that message better. Two, you're going to hear something back that you might not have thought of and said, yeah, but what about this? And you might actually modify your behavior and you're going to get a better outcome. So particularly, I think you're, you're speaking of direct reports, people who are around you every day. You, you have to share with them the logic behind your, your thinking. And what I'm getting at here is I think this is a much bigger issue for CFOs as they look to take on broader roles in their organization. They have to communicate with more people than ever before. And, and some of them are getting tripped up on this because, again, what you're, you're explaining here, you, you need to... It, it's super easy to hide behind, well, I can't tell you because that's secret data. It's not. You're all in the same organization. And that sends the wrong signal. It sends that's exactly the wrong signal. Lack of trust. Right. Even if you can't... You, so we were very private about where we really were in absolute revenue, but we shared our revenue chart just with no numbers on it. And we used to joke, you know, what can you learn about a chart with no numbers? There's actually a lot, and you can actually explain where the company is, where the momentum is, what's going well, what's not, and not have to know the absolute numbers. There's always a way to get past the secrecy, to get you know to the real conversation that you need to have. Right? And you, you know, I, my view is it doesn't matter who in the organization, and it's not just your direct reports. I mean, I, you know, had very uncomfortable conversations at all all hands meetings. Uh, it's a People are on a shared journey with you, and they have a need to know, you know, kind of the full thinking of the rationale, and they have a right to that. Right. And that's something that is, you know, I think especially as CFOs, we're so used to being private and dealing with the secret data uh, that we can tend to hide behind. Finance leaders in high-growth firms also often tell us they sometimes struggle to distinguish between things that seem important but aren't and things that don't seem important but are. Have you found this to be true? <laughs> Every single day of the week. <laughs> can, can you explain? Or what? I think that it's one of the biggest challenges in a growth company, and, and you know, I still suffer it every day. It's the time management. Uh, is super important. 
what happens is there is the inevitable crush of just stuff, right? That shows up on your calendar, people show up at the door of your office, you know, phone calls, decisions that, you know, at the point in time, they're always important, right? You've got to clear it to get things moving forward, or there's some issue you have to solve, or there's a short-term problem. You know, it has to get done, but you always have to go back and you know, go back and, and one of the things I think we did very well is we always had a plan. We always knew where we were going and what was important and where future growth was going to come to. And you have to have that absolute view of what really is important for the long term and force yourself to carve out the time to do that. And that helps you distinguish the things that aren't obvious. But you know, if you're planning for a new market um, or a new feature that you're launching. Looking at that very early stage outcomes, you know, tiny little you know, amounts of data can be super important to correct for. But it wouldn't rise to any conversation unless you sought out that stuff because you knew in the future that was really important. So what are examples of what might be classified as CFO priorities but often we, we discover they fight for attention inside certain companies that are scaling like crazy. Uh, the fact is, is that they're just not on the radar all the time. What, what, what comes to mind when I discuss anything that takes a long period of concentrated effort is going to suffer. And that's where you're going to have to force yourself. To me, I think the number one thing that is the hardest uh, is planning. No one else in the organization has the comprehensive view and the skill base and the formal role to do the level of planning in the organization. And carving out the time to do that is particularly difficult. And it's not just you. Sometimes you can just go off and you know, spend a lot of time on the spreadsheet. But as you grow, it needs to be much more involved and much more comprehensive across the organization. So if I had to pick one thing out and say spend more time on Part of scaling is driving the correct long-term economics, and that's where the focus is. What, uh, how is that ordinarily addressed? Uh, capacity. I mean, it, it, it just depends on the area. So, you know, if it's in fiscal operations, it's going to be going across to serve a customer. You know, if it's in customer support, it might be a you know, source of call call, you know, the cost of call. really getting down to that next level of understanding marginal economics and then talking about risk. And who on a, on a finance team would traditionally maybe be hands-on with these items? I, mean, is it I think that's one of the mistakes that, that, you know, that I make is the CFO tends to keep that close. One, because they're hard on defined problems. Two, it's kind of the funny part. Figuring out really where the business is going to go. I did not hire an FPA team as early as I should have, and that meant they became overly dependent. So I would say, you want to over-invest and over-invest early. It's not a controller or a VP of finance that has no the background, a formal person doing that. Because they're the ones that can offer it. When it comes to building an FPA team, uh, you mentioned those key hires. 
I'm wondering, obviously you look through the team, maybe there's someone who's beginning to develop and you know if you just have another senior person perhaps with more experience, that person would also grow easily into your team. I guess there are all sorts of scenarios. But the reality is very often, no, this is like a senior found and brought into the organization used with recruiters or are you what, what, what advice would you have for, for CFOs who are looking to look at some Yeah, one of the things that we've done because we knew hiring was going to be the key especially going is we've kept our hiring so we've built a very high functioning team uh, and that's one of our secret sauces and we do that we have When did you make that call? Does that go back? Is that part of the culture and the history? When we were And it, it served you well all the way to your And even at the executive, even you know, our last, most of our executive hires Is that, uh, do you think um, we made it work, it was successful, it worked for us, there are obviously other paths that can be taken. Uh, or no, you know, I highly recommend. I highly recommend. We need to find the right people um, to get recruiters. But you're, I think you're always going to get better outside of And, you know, we use outside recruiters too, but invariably you get low productivity. Mark, thank you for answering our questions. One last opportunity. Uh, I think just the the overall theme here of, of how to scale, I think some of the kind of threat behind my answer is you're not going to be able to do something or do everything. You're going to have to stop doing some things. It's you know, picking where you're going to focus and carving out the time for it is really the key. How we have seen others Mark Linden, thank you for joining us on CFO Fall. The only constant is change. Understood. Thank you again. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.